Welcome to the Man Child Chronicles podcast, where four friends talk entertainment, fatherhood, and sports, all with sarcasm, comedic timing, and a healthy dose of toxic masculinity. Let's welcome our hosts, Ryan, John, Mike, and Jay. Growing up never took so long. Hey, welcome in, Crotys, to episode 44 of the Man-Child Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Ryan, and I'm here with my three best friends, Michael, John, and Jay. Today, we're going to do a movie review from Movie Roulette. We're going to do some random stories from a hat, and we're going to draft the all-time horror-slash-thriller movies for our Battle Round series. Four teams go in. One reigns supreme. The Manchild Chronicles presents Battle Rounds. What's going on, guys? Hi. No, I can just tell you, I've been uh, I've been Michael Glavening. All over the place for about two days now. Frickin' frackin' Michael Glavin. Frickin' frackin' Michael Glavin. Make <laughs> me watch this. That, you know, <laughs> make me watch this stupid movie. I've been oh, been cussing your name up and down. I'm sure you've been feeling it. So, cronies, if you remember the last episode in our movie roulette, we got one of Michael's picks, one of his favorite movies of all time, <laughs> The Little Things. It. That is what we got to watch, a star-studded movie starring Denzel Academy Award winner Denzel Washington, mm-hmm. Academy Award winner Jared Leto, mm-hmm. Academy mm-hmm. Award winner, what's his name? Rami Malek. Rami Malek. I mean, this movie's got to be good, right? The budget with those three actors, it's got to be phenomenal. Let me set the plot for you, then we'll do a review. <laughs> This is a movie about a uh, police officer, a cop in a small town who once was a detective in L.A. Based in the 70s or 80s. We're not sure when. Somewhere in there. <laughs> 90s. Maybe early early 90s. We'll say it's early 1990. 90s. I don't 1990. think ever clearly It never clearly says. Let's Michael, just get that Michael clear. knows. He's watched it enough times. He's seen license plates. <laughs> 1990. Denzel Washington, the the former detective, has to go back to L.A. to get some evidence. And during that time, the old case that that brought him to lose his job sucks him back in. And now he is in an investigation with Ramey. Is that his name? Yep. And now he does like a joint investigation with him while he takes vacation time. And they look for a serial killer. Uh, Jared Leto, who may or may not be the serial killer, is one perp they are chasing in this movie. And let the action and drama and comedy ensue in this movie. Will they catch the killer? I don't know. Let's find out in our movie roulette review. Are you feeling lucky, punk? It's time for Movie Roulette! Brought to you by the Man Child Chronicles! 
Let me start this review <laughs> off, and then you guys can take it from there, and we'll just kind of go all over the place. This will be a mess, folks. But let me just start it <laughs> off in the beginning, because the beginning of the movie, it starts off by a girl... Uh, driving in a car. She's way too happy listening to music, singing. <laughs> Already a bad sign. Yeah. And she's singing and a uh, car starts, is behind her, basically. Okay. <sighs> Nothing out of the ordinary, just a car following her. And she automatically thinks this car is, or this car tries to pass her. It slows down, is r- right next to her. You can't see in the windows. It's tinted. It freaks her out. She's a girl, right? So what does she decide to do? Let's pull over to a closed-down restaurant and see if anybody's in there. Uh, I think she got in front of him, right? She pulled a, she pulled in front of the car and sped well, up really fast, he, right? He did pass her, and then one of his things is he pulls off on the oh, side, of the, off the side of the road. he pulls the road. And goes lets by her him. drive by, yep. So she's way in front of him, folks. Yep. I mean, she might be a She doesn't know. She could be miles in front of him. She don't know. But she's so scared. That she says, what's the best thing I can do for a car way behind me while I'm in a vehicle, probably with a full tank of gas? Let's pull over. It's late at night. This restaurant may or may not be open. I see a neon light. I'll go check. Nope. I bang on the window. The door's locked. Maybe I should get back in my car. Nope. Nope. I'm going to keep banging on every window in this restaurant that clearly has nobody in there and scream for help. The car's not even up there yet. Car pulls in. Maybe this would be a good time to hop in your car and drive away. Nope. nope. The car drove in. I can't go back to the car. He's going to suspect that. Let me run into this field out here very fast. The guy gets out of the car. Appears to be a short-haired man. Gets out of the car. Let's be clear. He's a short-haired, yes. skinny fella. Yes. He He's very cold. He's calculated. He opens very. the trunk. He puts on these gloves. You kind of get a side shot of him. So, yeah, keep going. So we very casually, very slow, monotonously getting into the back of his trunk, grabbing what appears to be possibly an overnight bag. Maybe he's not a killer. Maybe he's just going to stay there for the night. We don't know. <laughs> I saw but duct tape. He's a killer. He, yeah. That's the serial killer. The only thing you saw was a pair of isotoner gloves and duct tape in his duffel bag. So he goes walking casually. I mean, he goes walking casually. Not a fast-paced walk. Not like a power walker at a mall, just a casual, you know, walk. She is sprinting in this field. Does she fall? Of course she falls in this field. Because <laughs> why wouldn't she? Does she look back? Yes. He's way the heck back there. I mean, way back there. So let's now sprint, but let's let's kind of do zigzags. You know, uh-huh. he might shoot at me. Let's do zigzags. She gets to the highway. A semi comes up. She stops him. End of scene. End of scene. We don't know if she died. The whole time I'm thinking, is there two killers? Is there one killer? I don't know. You know, uh, speaking of the big name actors in here, so you don't see Jared Leto's face. I timed it all until 40 minutes into the movie. You finally see Jared Leto's face. And he said that he wore prosthetics like his, um, like different face prosthetics to make, you know, it's Jared Leto, but to be just off a little bit. And he does look off. He looks like a creep. So at 40 minutes, you see his face peek through a curtain and then it goes away and you're like, okay, he could be really creepy. And then you finally get to talk to Jared Leto at 56 minutes into this film. That's when you finally get to see him full flesh, talk to him. And they take him into the precinct and they even uh, uh, question him. 
did anyone else know, like, right after that questioning scene, like, yeah, he's not the guy? Did anyone else have that feeling? Like, I don't think he's the killer. <clears throat> There's a lot of evidence all throughout the movie. Th- this movie kind of reminded me of, of one of those uh, choose-your-own-adventure books uh, <laughs> because <laughs> there's so much that goes on in the movie that the movie intentionally lines up for you. So it's like the beer cans at the scene, uh, the, the milk that was fresh in the fridge, and you also saw milk at his other apartment. The, the newspaper clippings of the murders in his house. Like, the movie is intentionally, like, wanting it to be him, but it's just one of those things. that the, it's, it's Inception. They're not going to confirm it. They're going to let you write your own story about it. Yep. Um, and uh, But there's also evidence, you know, people start pulling out things that they think that um, – that Deacon is playing the double-double agent where he's actually the killer, or there's evidence that supports that that it's a completely random third party that you never, ever see because all the cars are different in this, that, whatever. Um, so the movie is intended to allow you to craft your own narrative, but at the same time, you're also not upset, really, at Jared Leto's fate. <laughs> I I don't I think the ending's pretty clear that you no, it like is. We'll, we'll wait we'll get to the ending yeah okay don't give it away so okay. hello everyone Michael from the Man Child Chronicles here I'm sure you're wondering why I cut the show off to be speaking to you in this moment well here's why Ryan our beloved Ryan for some reason decided to take the next thirty minutes to review the movie scene for scene shot for shot line for line. We have no idea why he did this. We didn't tell him to do this. We sure didn't ask him to do this. So I'm going to skip forward a little bit so that you don't have to endure a four-hour podcast. Enjoy. You you guys can pop in here anytime you want, by the way. I didn't know we were going to go scene for scene. (laughs) Yeah, You're literally going scene for scene. Um, I will say the first, which Ryan has really done a good job describing about the first 50 minutes of the movie. And I'll say the first 50 minutes of the movie are setting up a pretty decent serial killer storyline. And I, I wasn't against it. It's the last 15 minutes that completely ruined the entire movie. And I realize I have now wasted two hours of my life and I don't enjoy any of it. It is absolutely horrible. So anyways, they watch him. Uh, they bring him in at one point for questioning. Uh, like Jay said. And on page 56. <laughs> he obviously doesn't give anything away. He's a crime buff, but he likes to really mess with cops' heads. Like, he's way ahead of his time. He would have been great in this era, let me tell you, the way he treated <laughs> cops. But he, they let him go. They stake out and watch his house. In, like, every good stakeout movie, the guy that has to go get some coffee because they're out, something happens. Yep. <laughs> so something happened. The guy... Got out into his car. Page 58. Page 58. <laughs> and Jared Leto convinced the hotshot detective to get into his car. He's going to show him where the bodies are buried. And, of course, Denzel barely seen him drive away, turn the corner. They go to some abandoned field out in the middle of nowhere in L.A. 
and he has them start digging holes. He he digs a whole bunch of holes. There's no bodies out there. Dig the guys up ob- them holes. The guy's obviously trying to get a rise out of him. <laughs> Doesn't take much to get a rise out of this professional detective. All he had to do was mention his wife and kid, and the guy kills him with a shovel across the face. He says one thing about his wife and kid. That's it. You're dead, buddy. This star detective who's worked all kinds yes. of grisly Fox. situations, probably hundreds if not thousands of arrests, your wife and daughter, <laughs> what's dead. in the box? Wha-bam! This guy, and let me just say it to you. This guy, this guy's lucky if he weighs 100 pounds with 10-pound weights on his arms. He is tiny. He, skin and bones... <laughs> Probably five six at best, super small. I don't think he could have even made if he hit somebody in the face with a shovel. I don't even know if somebody would have stepped back. Anyways, the guy's dead. Somehow Denzel finds an abandoned field, drives out there and sees when him. he's five miles behind. Five miles behind <laughs> finds his find them in a field. Here's and, the thing. Here's the thing. Literally, though, after the scene at the police precinct, I was like, well, Jared Leto's obviously not the killer. He even tells them several times, which obviously the killers always do, but he's like, I didn't kill anybody. Like, I was messing with you guys. He has long hair, he has a beer belly, and he walks with this atrocious limp. Mm-hmm. None of what the, fir- the first time you saw the serial killer, he had none of those qualities. I so I'm like, Kaiser Soze. And so I'm like, this guy is literally not. Not the killer. Why are we so focused on him? And I was hoping he was going to be like somehow related to the serial killer. Like they were going to be partners. Like I was trying to figure out where the connection was. There is none. The Like literally with the movie ending, you don't know who the serial killer is. It's still going to have to, like you don't find anything out. That's what pissed me off so much about this movie. So when Denzel went into this guy's house because he wanted five minutes to find evidence, finds this box with all the newspaper clippings, and the hotshot cop says, did you find a red beret? Because one of the girls that died always has a red beret in her hair. Okay, To clarify, so, a beret is a hat, a barrette. Barrette. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. A Russian red beret. <laughs> so anyways, so Denzel pulls up on him after he killed this guy. Uh, Denzel... As we talked about earlier, lost his job for doing something dirty, uh, accidentally killing somebody, and drives up there, doesn't even hesitate, bury the body, get rid of the evidence. <laughs> it's automatically I'll a be, cover up. We have to yep. cover all of this up. Dig <laughs> Don't a hole. Be suspicious. He says, Don't dig be a hole. <laughs> he drives right back in L- finds his way back, no problem. Drives right back in LA, has a whole bunch of garbage can- garbage bags, packs up this whole guy's house. <laughs> Folks, I have moved so many times in my life. Let me tell you how long it takes to pack up a house. Days. It takes <laughs> days. He Not Joe Deacon. Up, he Not when you're going to torch everything. He packs up this whole house, everything this guy owns, in probably an hour. Because by the time he got out to this field, uh, this hotshot cop had dug a grave in into the soil, probably what six feet deep. Yeah, they have, maybe, he hasn't maybe put the body hour, in yet. Maybe two yeah. hours, but then it, this is all happens in one night. They continually dig about fifteen or twenty more holes to put all these garbage bags in. Not to mention that like a fifteen hundred or two thousand square foot apartment fit into a regular size car. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
So they put all they, they bury all the evidence. Uh, he tells them, "Don't ever talk about it. Don't ever bring it up. Don't ever tell anybody. Every time it will come back to haunt you, or whatever." Uh, he goes it's back the to little things. <laughs> it's the yeah. Little he goes things. to him. It's the little things again. Like the little no. things will get you caught. <laughs> Whoever came up with that title is like, oh, oh, we gotta get we gotta get this title worked into the movie somehow because it makes <laughs> no sense. Any surely he says this it. has been a red dawn. <laughs> <laughs> He goes back to his house, burns the remaining evidence he has. Why they didn't bury all that, I have no idea. Burns the remaining evidence he has, sends the hotshot cop a letter with a red barrette in it, and then it goes back to Denzel with a package of four different colors of barrettes, and he sent him the red one, which tells you there was no evidence linking to this guy to be kill any of these women at all. You don't get any definitive answer. Like, I want to know who... I watch Law & Order SVU because I'm teaming up with Olivia Benson and we're going to find out who the bad guys are. I don't find out who the bad guy is. Like, I would rather have watched an entire season of Law & Order than what we just did. I, Michael Glavin, for two days now, Michael Glavin, freaking fracking... Now, my other personal gripe before I give it my man-child stars here is does anybody else have trouble watching Rami Malek and not think of Freddie Mercury and just yeah, waiting the for entire him to go, time. I'm waiting for him to go the whole movie. Ayo, ayo. <laughs> if he just had the Denzel's overbite, he would be, he would be Freddie Mercury if he had Denzel's overbite. It's worse for me than that. All I can see is his Pharaoh character from Night at the Museum. <laughs> <laughs> That's what yeah. I've seen him in. I would yeah. watch them like, what have I yeah. seen this guy I'm in before? Here, like, this That's guy never is. never left the museum for me. <laughs> now, did Denzel do the overbite? Because he was like, oh, he got an Oscar for doing this? All right. <laughs> All right. Hey, Rami, uh, how am I doing? That's oh. hilarious. Anyways, <laughs> I would honestly, and I hate to give it this high of a one, but I would give it two man-child stars out of five. Just because the acting is good, the first two acts are good, they just drop it in the third act. Listen, I have to apologize on behalf of Mike because he asked people to watch this movie. So when they so when they listen to the review, don't watch this movie. It's zero point five out of five. Do not watch this that's movie. A little, that's a little low. You're no. You're just being fir- hateful now. I have I have admitted the first fifty minutes. I was into it. I was into it. The entire last half of it is so atrocious. It erased the goodness that the first fifty minutes brought. Do not ever watch this movie, ever. Under any circumstance, for any reason whatsoever, I'm trying to quote Michael Scott in the office, just don't do it. I do like the movie in the context of, exactly like John said, the pacing of the first two acts is great. Um, the, The feel of the movie is good. Great acting from a great cast. But just strictly from a right, even even the third act of the movie is acted well by our our cast. But it, it's solely the writing uh, in the third act where the movie just falls apart. And so um, I would give it, I would give it a two point five stars, man child stars, um, just because the movie is very well done. Cinematically, it's very beautiful. Lots of good camera work. 
but story just fell apart at the very end. 2.5 man-child stars from me. I'm convinced Michael never saw this movie. I'm with Jay, a half a star. <laughs> I thought it was great actors in there, and I thought it was horrendous acting. It was terrible. The The directing was terrible. It seemed like a, a straight-to-DVD movie acting to me. You didn't even get a great Denzel. Every movie Denzel's in, he gives some awesome speech or does some awesome line. Nothing in this one. What says I got to like you, son? It's just, <laughs> just Jared Leto, like any other movie, is god-awful. I don't know why people think he's good in anything. Every movie he does is absolute garbage. Just you didn't like him movie. in Lord of War? I've never even seen it. I don't want to see like it. You didn't like him in the Suicide Squad? I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to see him in a movie. You didn't like him, him in Blade him Runner 2049? Terrible. <laughs> this movie was the same. Terrible acting. Terrible directing. I don't know what Michael's... Michael has this infection with cinematography, giving movies two and a half stars. Ryan. I don't give two rat's butts about cinematography <laughs> when the movie is this bad. I sat there for two hours... And wasted my life. It's it it's it's the equivalent. I gave I gave uh Gone with the Wind zero stars. This one was two hours less, so I'm giving it a half star. <laughs> you know what's funny about that to me though, Ryan, is you've spent literally scene by scene describing this movie and you have that yeah, much you, hatred for it. Like, yeah, nobody you literally have a good memory. the whole movie apart and I my, wanted to do a review on the movie. That's not Mike, a review. You did a synopsis. Mike, <laughs> you're definitely going to have to cut this movie review down because it is so long. <laughs> well, I thought I thought you guys were going to jump in here and there, and nobody jumped in at Nobody all. expected you to take it scene by scene. Well, I was hoping you guys were going to jump man. in with some stupid things from scenes, but nobody I did thought, anything. I thought you were just like setting pace, and then we're going to jump yeah. to the end. And nope, I nope. Just, I didn't know where to go because one, nobody was talking. Three. Nobody was talking for the whole it's movie because, you because we watched a terrible movie, Mike, because you can't pick movies that are fun to review. You pick the most boring freaking movies in the world. It's so annoying. You're the one who went, just pick funny movies. Times. Just pick funny movies. The rest of my list was great. How was I supposed to mathematically know it would land on that one? It's amazing to me that Denzel even did this movie uh, and where his career is going. I don't even know why he would take this script and do this movie. I'm tired of talking about it. Let's play random stories from a hat. Stories from a hat. Stories from a hat. Stories from a hat. It's a story from a hat. All right, cronies. You remember the game from last week. We've had rave reviews on this game. We're going to play it again, and then we probably won't play it for a while. We'll play it again. <laughs> we're going to give you a lot of demand on this. So we're going to go ahead. We're going to we're gonna start with uh, old Mikey Mike. Pick a number, Mike. 21. Children poop. Oh. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> we're so cronies. We're all dads. <laughs> I guarantee you, we all have a poop story. Who wants to tell their first poop story? Oh. So this is this story does not contain the most fecal matter, but it was unexpected fecal matter, which sometimes can outrank 
uh, quantity. So, uh, and this story's fairly recent. So one of my younger kids, uh, their room had started to, to smell. Um, their, their room is fairly empty because they tend to get into stuff and it, it keeps them up at night if they have temptation. So it's their bed and just a few small pieces of furniture, uh, that are, that are, you know, utility and function. And, uh, so, and they, they've got bunk beds cause two kids share room. And <clears throat> so over time we just, first it's just like a little, little tinge on the nose hairs. Like, eh, must just be left over from a diaper overnight or, you know, something. But as the weeks progress, the smell keeps getting stronger and, and it gets to a point where the room is just rank. Ugh. And, uh, and so we go in there. I was like, hey, there's got to be something in this room. A kid took off a diaper. They had an accident on the floor. Something happened in this room. Ugh. And uh, so we start looking around. We look under the bed. There, uh, It's open underneath the, the bunk bed. So, like, you can see under there. There's nothing. Um, you know, we look in the closet. We we look all... And, and again, the room is fairly open. So it's, it's like, I don't get it. Like, did one of them make a mess in the carpet? We just don't see it. So then we gave up and then it was like within the next couple of days um I was playing with the kids or something so I ran into the room and I was in the bottom bunk and I and I was kind of rolling around and all of a sudden my hand goes across the top of the underneath of the bunk bed oh, and no. I and I feel a weird texture Oh. And I turn around, and what was happening was one of the kids oh. was reaching into their diaper and painting on the bottom side of, of the bed. <laughs> and so you look up, and like, I this is a very obscure movie reference. I don't know why this popped in my head, but if anybody's ever seen the movie The Number 23 with Jim Carrey, when he, when he goes super crazy at the end and he starts doodling everywhere. That's what this was. <laughs> the oh. whole underside of the bed was just these s- color swatches, varying shades of brown and pale yellows and greens <laughs> on this canvas. 50 underneath. shades of brown. <laughs> 50, 50 shades of brown. Um, my so, gag reflex is not going to handle the stories well. So you guys have to stop me if I've told this one on this podcast because I've told this story many times in my life. But I'm we're living uh, this townhome, and I come home, and my wife goes somewhere, and I'm watching the kid, and I take a nap on the couch. She's taking a nap in her room upstairs. So Your wife saw, or I, my kid? Oh, okay, okay. She's taking an afternoon nap. I'm also taking an afternoon nap. <laughs> I slept way too long. <laughs> I woke up, went up to the room, because I can hear her jumping around up there. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's been up there forever. So I go up there, and she's, I think she's like three or four at the time, or two, oh, she, two or three, probably three. Anyways, I open the door, and I, I don't see nothing right away. And then she turns around, and she has stuff all over her hands and her face. It's, it's clearly poop. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I start looking around the room and it is 
everywhere. It's on the walls. It's on the dresser handles. It's in her doll's eyes. It's in every toy she has. She had to have pooped out like a 12-foot log and use it all over the room because it's everywhere in this room. It's I'm like, clean, clean. You know what I'll that reminds me of? It's the end of that fam uh, or uh, American Dad episode where they run the bed and breakfast, and it's the old man who left the poop everywhere. And Steve at the end of the episode's like, "Oh my god, it's in the batteries inside the remote. <laughs> it was. It's in it was. the CD player. It was everywhere. This it's isn't like, a pillow in the pillowcase. It's poop. <laughs> it's like it's like when you you're." Glass breaks in your car, and the glass is in there forever. No, how many how many times you clean it, you find glass in your back seat or trunk. But it's it's like Dumb and Dumber. Or when Bob say it goes in the bathroom, he says there is bleep everywhere. That's what it was like. And I'm sitting here going, "How am I going to clean this up before my wife comes home?" And all I had was baby wipes, so I went through a whole package of baby wipes and cleaned everything up. Gagging the whole time, <laughs> threw her in the bathtub. <laughs> I I didn't get it cleaned up in time for my wife came home, but she came home, and I had no way to, no way to go to let her. I just said she just did it. I I literally put her in there for a nap, and she did this right away. I didn't tell her I was sleeping for like four hours. <laughs> uh, but did have you ever told was, her the full story since? Yeah, she knows. Okay, but it was it was everywhere in there. I couldn't believe. I mean, kids can't poop that much. I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know if she kept it in a jar somewhere and just got it out at that one time. I don't know what happened, but she was, it was so much. <laughs> I remember the first time when I was giving my kid a bath when they were a baby and they pooped in the bathtub. That was the first time that poop started making, like gross stuff started making me gag. And, and John and Jay, or uh, Jay and Mike know when I see that stuff, I can't, I just gag all the time. <laughs> When I see that, I just like, uh, all the time. And you that was do the not first have time a, ever a strong, to me. you do not have a strong resistance to your, I do not. I feel like I used to, but I have lost it. I have lost yeah. my strong gag reflex. Uh, John, you want to pick a number? Since we're talking about doo doo, let's go number two. All right. Ghost encounters. Oh. Ghost encounters. Story. I don't think I got anything on that. Besides just watching that scary movie and then turning off all the lights in your home and then running as fast as you can (laughs) into your bedroom (laughs) and then jumping into your bed, hoping that thing didn't get you that was creepily in the back of your mind. You ever run up up from a basement as fast as you can? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's about the closest Uh, thing I really have to ghost encounters. Jay has a good story of when uh, um, when he received tantalizing uh, text messages while in a precariously horror movie-esque situation. No, the power went out at the store I was working in, so we had to run generators all night to keep um, the uh, backups, like the... Uh, the system running and so someone has to stay overnight there's no power in the store it's completely pitch black i text michael and set, he no, 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 photo- set the scene more detail about what what a being in a retail store at night is is like i mean imagine imagine being in walmart up by one of the cash registers all the lights are out. Yeah, it's 
creepy. It's super creepy. It's literally pitch black, and I'm trying to show Michael like how creepy it looks. So I text him photos, and that's the first mistake. I get the response from him, and he goes, what was that in the background? And he photoshopped Diana from Lights Out at the end of Register 10 or something. And I'm literally like looking up from my phone to where it's at. And I'm like, where the heck was it? Like, what Where's are you doing? To I, uh, so the, it, it's literally from that point, it's I just had to go behind the front counter, sit next to the generator where I have a flashlight on and just slowly rock back and forth. Like, she wasn't there. She wasn't there. Everything's fine. She wasn't there. I hate you, Mike. I had a Michael Glavin you all night. Freaking, freaking Michael Glavin. Oh. I have a ghost story. Uh, this was at my aunt's house. So my uncle helped take care of horses at this farm for this guy and pretty much became like his son. Anyway, he died. He left the whole farm to my uncle. So they lived there. And I went, I mean, I used to stay over at my cousin's house and we were staying there one night. And apparently they were haunted by this guy or his wife, actually. And candles would just turn on, just go on in the living room. Uh, uh, pictures of the family would fall over. And my aunt literally went in the living room one night at midnight and just yelled that uh, his name was Dick. She says, Dick does not live here anymore. And she yelled out the address <laughs> at the cemetery he was at. And she said she never had anything happen again in that house after she did that. What? Yeah. Freaked me. I didn't want to stay there for a while. I would just start <laughs> so weird. running around as scared freaky. as possible, looking for a safe bed to jump into. Uh, I'll pick a number here. Let's go. Let's go 14. Meeting a famous person. I have a... I never really met a famous person, but when I was a kid... I thought I met the brother of a famous person. So my dad took me with him to go see his lawyer. Somehow I got roped with him. I don't know what my dad was at the lawyer for. It was a divorce we custody battle. Yeah. <laughs> it could have been. I don't know. And we went in there. And the guy's a uh, huge wrestling fan. Huge wrestling fan. Favorite wrestler, Hulk Hogan. We go in there, and this lawyer's last name is Hogan. And I'm like... Do you know Hulk Hogan? He's like, yeah, he's my brother. <laughs> I'm like, because this guy had blonde Was hair it, too. He's my and, brother. Or, he's my brother. <laughs> he just brother. My brother. <laughs> and his first name was Terry Hogan. And I didn't know at the time. And I don't know if this guy just told me his name was Terry Hogan just to mess with me. But I didn't know Hulk Hogan's real name was Terry at that time. And he said his name is Terry, Terry Hogan. And I'm like, you're really? And he's like, yep, yep. I'm friends with them. You, Hulk Hogan, the guy that wears the... That's on TV and wrestles. You wrestled Andre the Giant. He rips his shirt apart. He says, brother, eat your vitamins, say your prayers. I'm like, yeah, that's him. Yeah, that's my brother. I, for six years, I was I wanted my dad to take me back to that guy's <laughs> office all the time because I thought that was the real, Hulk Hogan's real brother. And I thought if I but then went your parents there enough, I'd see out. Hulk Hogan. What'd you say? I said, but then your parents worked it out. <laughs> my parents worked it out and we never got to go back there again. <laughs> I actually, I actually did meet a famous celebrity once. It just popped in my head there. So there I was standing at the payphone, 
And the guy hangs up the phone and he turns around. He tips his hat to me. And you wouldn't believe it. It was Emilio Estevez, the mighty duck himself. And I was like, Emilio! <laughs> the mighty duck man himself. The Emilio Estevez. Himself. I was like, Emilio! <laughs> Emilio! <laughs> man, you guys are great. Well, look, I've got two stories actually about this. The second story being creepier than the first. Neither of these stories are mine, but I heard this like six months ago, and I haven't been able to shake it out of my brain since. This episode is the perfect time to dive into the mind of Jay Gill. Story number one. In the late 1970s, a medical student from the University of Chicago just got out of morning class, and he decided he would hitchhike back home to Lincoln Park on the north side instead of paying for a taxi. During this era, it was socially acceptable to hitchhike, and it was something this young man had done many times. He walked down the road, and he lifted his thumb. A man drove up in a Plymouth satellite, and he offered this young student a ride home. The man driving the car was described as looking normal. He seemed friendly, lighthearted even. It was a middle-aged man, and he says, hey, hop on in. I'll gladly give you a ride. The student didn't feel threatened by this guy. He had no bad feelings. He got in the car, told them where to go, and they started driving. They're being quiet, they're not really talking to each other, and once they get to Lakeshore, the man heads south instead of north. The student notices and he says, hey man, you missed my turn, do you mind turning around, heading north, or you could just pull over and I can walk since we're not that far away. The man who seemed really nice and lighthearted suddenly had this intense look and demeanor about him. He put his hand on the student's knee and he said, no, you're coming with me. The student froze in panic. He knew immediately that this was not an idle threat and that he needed to get out of there. When they hit traffic near South Shore, while still driving, they have not stopped the vehicle, the student quickly unlocked the passenger door and jumped out of the moving vehicle. He slammed into the ground and rolled into the curb, but ultimately he was unharmed. He was able to uh, stand up and run home. He did not call the police because he really didn't know what to tell them. He did not have a great description of the guy. He didn't have a license plate number. And the man didn't do anything totally aggressive. He just kind of spoke this ambiguous threat at best. It didn't seem good, but there was no way of knowing what the man wanted to do. He felt lucky to have gotten out of there, and he moved on with his life, kind of forgetting about the encounter with this stranger. Several years later, he's having coffee in a cafe, and there's a TV on behind him. He's not really paying attention to it, but then he hears something that makes his blood run cold. There's a reporter on TV talking about a guy who's on death row, and he's describing how this guy removed all the door handles on the inside of his car after his first would-be victim, a college student, escaped by opening the car door while the car was moving. The guy runs over to the TV to see who they're talking about, and on the TV is a picture of a guy on death row, and it's the same guy who had given him a ride several years earlier. The man on TV was John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown. 
the notorious serial killer of Chicago who killed over 30 men and boys over the years. After he would kill them in his clown room, he would stuff them into the secret crawl space in his basement. And although it's pure speculation, it seems extremely likely that this med student was supposed to be the first victim of John Wayne Gacy, but he leapt out of that car, forcing John Wayne Gacy to change his strategy and make sure the next victims weren't able to do that. You live so and I wonder you learn. if that guy felt I wonder if that guy felt lucky or felt terrible that he could have prevented all those murders if he just would have called the cops and tried. Hey, he didn't have I hear you, but he didn't have even the card license number or anything. I'm just saying he's a piece of crap human being, that's all. <laughs> Story number two. That's a strong stance to take. <laughs> <laughs> In the 1970s, a young man and young woman were on a date together, and the date was just kind of going awkward. It's not like they would say it was a horrible date or something, but there were just a lot of these awkward moments of silence. Their chemistry, it just felt off. So as they're getting ready to wrap up the date and say goodnight, the guy thought to himself, what do I have to lose? He looked at the girl and he suggested, let's go for a midnight hike out in Provo Canyon. He tells her, hey, I know the place. I've done a fair amount of rock climbing in the area. There are these awesome trails. They lead to beautiful scenic overlooks. It'll be better than just going home for the night. And since tonight's a new moon, we'll have great visibility of the stars. I think you'll have fun. At first, she's a little hesitant, but he insists, I go hiking there at night all the time. It'll be fun, and I promise, if there's any weirdness at all, or you don't like being there, we'll just leave. It's totally safe. Eventually, she's like, you know what? That does sound fun. Sure, let's go. So this date that was really awkward, all of a sudden, it turned really exciting. Uh, the, the two of them were thrilled to go hiking at night into Provo Canyon. So they drive up to the mouth of the canyon, they get out of their cars, and they start hiking under just the light of the stars. And it was really beautiful, and it was, it was really exciting. As they're walking on this trail, it brings them to this heavily forested section of the canyon. Up to this point, the guy felt like this was a really great and fun idea. He really had gone hiking there a bunch, and he did know this trail pretty well. But as they're brought into this heavily forested area, the guy started feeling this overwhelming sense of dread. He didn't know why, but he was just filled with this anxiety. And he just started having this bad feeling that something was about to go wrong. But since he worked so hard to get his date out here and he convinced them, you know, that they were safe, he wasn't about to let on that he had this really bad feeling. So he put on a brave face, he grabbed her hand tightly, and they just kept hiking deeper into the woods. His sense of dread did not go away. In fact, it kept building and building to the point that he was stressed. He was on edge. What this man didn't know that he would find out later is that the girl was feeling extremely uneasy as well. She also had this overwhelming sense of dread as soon as they entered the forest. She didn't want to tell him because she didn't want to seem like a party pooper because he was really excited about this hike. At some point as they're walking down this path, the man steps onto something that felt soft right in the middle of the path. He didn't know what it was, but it caused him to freeze immediately. And he was holding onto her hand, so he kind of just jerks her hand down to cause her to stop walking too. 
Before he can even look down and see what soft thing is that he's standing on, he hears rustling coming from bushes right off on the trail. She hears it too, and so both of them, without saying a word to each other, because you remember they were both feeling that sense of dread for a while, and they were feeling stressed. They didn't let on to each other how stressed they were and that they were both ready to leave. So the two of them just turn around, and they hightail it out of there walking fastly. He has no idea what he stepped on. They don't know what they heard in the bushes, but they don't care. The anxiety was so high, they just had to get out of there. Years later, that man and woman who had that strange first date are actually married. They're sitting at home watching TV, and they're flipping through channels, and they land on an interview with a death row inmate. The interviewer is asking the inmate, was there ever a time that you were almost caught red-handed? And the guy being interviewed says, yes, one time. I was up in the forest in Provo Canyon one night, and a young couple came walking up the trail, and it totally caught me off guard. I didn't see them coming, so I only had a chance to jump into some bushes right next to the trail, and the guy actually stepped onto the body of a girl that I had just killed. But for some reason, he didn't look down to see what he was standing on, and the two of them didn't notice me standing just a few feet away in some bushes. They turned around and walked away. It turns out that young couple had unknowingly come across the most notorious serial killer of all time, Ted Bundy. Before Bundy was executed, he confessed to over 35 murders, but he alleged that if you would add a zero to that total, that would get you closer to the real number. And that is my two stories on meeting famous people. All right. Well, that was pretty dark. Pretty dark again, Jay. Your dark, sadistic mind taking us to dark places. You're welcome. Which is perfect, since we're doing a horror thriller draft. <laughs> Let's draft. It's draft time. All right, cronies. Tonight, we are doing horror thriller draft Leading up to the battle rounds. Four teams go in. One reigns supreme. The Manchild Chronicles presents Battle Rounds. Tonight's draft order Ryan, John, Jay, and Mike. Let's Rigged. get started. Rigged. The 101 in my horror thriller, I will take Die Hard. Oh, guaranteed points. Ugh, don't know. John, you are up. For my next pick, I will take one of my personal favorites, Inception. All right, Jay. All right, and with my first pick, I will take uh, John Wick. All right. Michael, you get back-to-back. First pick, I'm going to take Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol. With my second pick, I will take Skyfall. 
All right, coming back to me, I will take Die Hard with a Vengeance. This was the horror draft, right? Correct. The thriller, <laughs> horror slash thriller, thriller. They're, sti- draft, they're sticking to their guns, John. They're sticking guys, to their guns. You guys are tainting this draft with your picks. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you took Inception, I- John. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> Inception. <laughs> uh, next one, I'm going to take off the board. I'm going to take The Rock. The Rock. H- historically, the the horror movies have just not won rounds, and so that's why we combine it with thriller to. Give it a little bit more. Until I made a grave mistake rating this list. I did not do enough thrillers on here. Okay. Uh, back to back. I will take Lethal Weapon. And I will take an actual horror movie and take It, Chapter One. Not a horror movie. Look it up. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Full title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to take another pick. I'm going to take Conair off the board. Going to tie a ribbon around the old oak tree. I got to keep going to my action list and keep crossing these off. <laughs> All right. With my next pick, I am going to take uh, Ocean's Eleven. Interesting. I avoided that one because I, I thought I would get made fun of for that pick. <laughs> As well you should. As well you should. All right, uh, back to back for me. Um, I'm going to take. I'm going to take Demolition Man, and I'm going to grab Taken. Okay, Jay. All right, uh, with my next pick, I'm going to take Jaws. John. For my next pick, I will take the Predator off the board, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh man. Okay. I will take Halloween, the original Halloween, and I will take A Quiet Place. For my next pick, I will take the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Jay Gill. Sweet, 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 sweet. Um, I will take The Born Ultimatum. Hmm. Mike, back to back. I'm going to take Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, and I'm going to take Fast Five. I'm not going to have an action list done when we're done. (laughs) This is going fast. All right, Jay, you're back up. I am going to take The Conjuring. I'm going to take a personal favorite horror comedy of mine, Shaun of the Dead. Okay, my final two picks... I will take seven, and I will take, hold on here, something's wrong with my list. I even typed it with the seven as the V, like in the, <laughs> like in the time. I will take, um, I will take Blade for my last pick. All right, my draft recap, Die Hard, Lethal Weapon, It, Chapter One, Halloween, A Quiet Place, Seven, and Blade. Hmm. I could take it or leave it. You can leave it, and you can leave this podcast, Michael. (laughs) (laughs) Why so serious? Why so serious? I didn't get that movie. 
For my last pick, I am going to take Enemy of the State. So to round out my seven, I'm going to have Inception, The Rock, Con Air, The Predator, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Shaun of the Dead, and Enemy of the State. J-Rup. A lot of good stuff still left on the board. A lot in the horror genre for sure. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of good stuff still left on the board. Um, Thrillers are pretty amazing, but uh, with my last couple picks here, I've gone the horror thriller, and I'm going to keep that going. I will take The Silence of the Lambs. So to recap my draft, I have John Wick, Die Hard with a Vengeance, Ocean's Eleven, Jaws, The Born Ultimatum, The Conjuring, and The Silence of the Lambs. Michael? I'm going to round out my list with John Wick Chapter 2, my favorite John Wick movie to date. I'm going to recap for the for the horror thriller genre. <laughs> I'm going to take Mission Impossible Ghost Protocol, Skyfall, Demolition Man, Taken, Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, Fast Five, and John Wick Chapter 2. There's probably only two movies on that list I'd even take. Which ones? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Save well, he's already, picked he's already picked him. He's, I've already I'm picked him. I'm not going to tell you. Save it for the battle rounds. Save it for the battle rounds. All right. What a scary draft. <laughs> not. Or thriller. That's it for today. Till next week. Peace. We out of here. Thanks for joining us today on the Manchild Chronicles. You can find us on your favorite social media platforms at the Manchild Chronicles. Don't forget to join us every Friday for a new episode. That's all for now. See you next time.